Welcome to Bonjour Bitch. My name is Charlotte and I'm many things, but most importantly for this podcast, I am multicultural and sometimes a bitch. We're going to talk about everything from relationships to daily life, all from a multicultural point of view. Each week, I'll be accompanied by the most amazing guests to delve further into topics that really affect us all. You'd better get ready for it, bitches. Welcome to today's episode, everyone. We will be discussing poetry and storytelling with the fabulous Vian Ema, who is a poet, creative writer, and storyteller. Hi, Vian. Welcome. Hi. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming along, uh, even though it's obviously socially distant and you're at home and I'm at my home. So <laughs> but it's lovely to see you anyway. So let's get started. Can you tell me a bit about where your family originates from, please? Yeah, sure. Um, my mum is from Dominica, which is in the Caribbean. And my dad also is um, from the Caribbean, but he's from Grenada. Amazing. I've never been to either of those islands. I really, really want to go. Um, do you ever get to go back for holidays or seeing friends and family? Um, to be honest, growing up, my mum never went back home. Like for four, it was 40 years before she travelled back. But I have been to the Caribbean, but only to, to visit um, friends in Barbados. Oh, wow. And what, what pushed her to go back after 40 years? I don't know. The crazy thing is she'd been to Jamaica in that time, but it's just I don't know life you know she was sort of single mum she had six of us and you know finances and all that kind of stuff she always sort of put everything first and it sort of got to the point we were like mum you've got to go and it just happened and she went and yeah it was took 40 years like <laughs> so you just mentioned that you're one of six but I read somewhere that you also have six children right that's right yeah Wow. <laughs> I'm the fifth of six children and I also have six myself. How do you find the energy to be a mum to six, albeit wonderful children, I'm sure, <laughs> and to create such beautiful words? Do you know what? I'm tired a lot of the time. I never sort of, I hate the term super mum. I mean, we're all super mum just by way of doing that role because I think it sort of puts this sort of pressure that you know having six, I've got six kids I'm writing and I've got it all together but I'm tired all the time but because I'm so passionate about it and it's sort of like my thing I just make the time so even when I'm nodding off you know it might be at night when I've got them all down or early in the morning my husband's like why are you up go back to bed but I'm like no but if I don't do it now <laughs> you know I won't have the time later. Aww. How old are all your kids? My eldest is 12, then she's a girl, um, next daughter is eight, then I have a son who's six, another girl who's four, and then 10, well, 11 month old twin boys. Oh my God. When I say that, it makes my head kind of... <laughs> <laughs> Do you want any more children? No way. <laughs> like, no way. Like, I love my kids so much, obviously. But um, to be honest, we were done at four. And then my husband was booked in for the snip because I was like, you better do that or stay away from me forever. And uh, then the operation got delayed. He was all in his gown, all ready to have it done. And then the surgeon was like, oh, really sorry, because of the time and looks like it's going to be more complicated. We have to delay it. And anyway, I got pregnant with twins yeah in that time so yeah 
it went from wanting four kids to having six so oh my god that is crazy especially like it's not just one extra one no no it's twins exactly exactly two for the price of one so yeah and it, it was that you know I had sort of turned 40 during that pregnancy and it was just sort of so not what I was expecting you know you, know, you have sort of a rough plan you know for what you want to do and I was kind of really looking forward to my youngest you know starting reception the following year and I was like yes I'm gonna get back to being you know me as much as I could and um, and then I got pregnant with twins so even it, almost a year later I'm still kind of coming to terms with it and working it out because it threw everything on its head and I think I'm still kind of like I've got twin boys I've got two extra children so you know it's great but it's you know I'm not going to pretend that you know it's just come and I've just sailed into it you know yeah I suppose the eldest ones help out a bit do they yeah especially my 12 year old I mean she's been amazing and she she just sort of took the role of sort of like I, I don't want to say second mummy because that's not what she is but I think it sort of gives her she just loves sort of feeling grown up and oh I can do it mummy I can make a bottle oh I'll change him and you know I'm like baby you know you can go and do a TikTok or something whatever it is that you want to do you know she's like oh no mum you know uh, you know, she sort of, you know, would be cuddling one and have her phone in one hand, baby in the other. So, it, yeah, Aww. it works. And lockdown has sort of forced us all to be really knee deep in it all. So, you know, that's sort of been nice to have them all around. So when did you start writing and what did you start writing initially? I've been writing since like since school um I really had a thing for for English 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 literature was like my favorite subject at school and so from sort of childhood I used to pen my thoughts and my feelings and I sort of uh, when I sort of reflect back I, I found that I was always writing in response to sort of something happening at that time being a child you don't sort of put it down to you like you, you know, you're putting your feelings down and all that stuff and how healing and cathartic it is but it, that was just sort of what I did you know I just something bad or sad would happen and I would just write something about it so I think it's just been sort of a, a natural thing that I've just done and carried on doing throughout my life. Interesting. Did you ever write a diary or keep a diary as well? You know what? Over the years, I have started so many that I'm going to do it every day. And now I have a collection of sort of like, you know, half, not even half. I sort of get to February and then that's it. And then it, suddenly I start writing again in September. Like it's, it's so I don't, I'm not a diary keeper. I have to be honest, but I've definitely found that my poetry sort of served as a diary because I read back and I, I can work out sort of where I was maybe not the actual events but certainly where I was emotionally at the time when I read the stuff. Amazing and are there any particular subjects that speak to you more than others and if there are which ones are they? Well I love writing about well, women the women in itself like the whole us women is like my biggest sort of topic that I write about women womanhood sisterhood motherhood those sort of the themes that run continuously throughout my poetry but in terms of sort of the subjects it's all about sort of women recognizing their worth loving themselves women overcoming you know obstacles and traumas and and just sort of all of that the journey really of girlhood to womanhood and all what we kind of go through it's just a big pot of a womanhood stew it's like everything that we could ever be that's what I write about that's amazing and I think you know what it's 
obviously being a woman myself and having gone through certain things, whether when I was younger or more recently, I also feel that there's still a huge taboo about things that women go through in their lives and not just with men, but between women themselves. So in previous seasons of the podcast, I've been very vocal about my struggle to conceive. And we did an episode together with my husband where we discussed um, going through IVF and the fact that we had three miscarriages last year and not just the impact on me, but also the impact on him as a man. And it's something that is so taboo. And that was something that really shocked me when I went through all of this was how as a woman, I knew nothing about this. And if I had known before, or at least been privy to conversations about it, maybe I would have been more prepared about it. Yeah, I didn't feel sort of supported much in in sort of what was actually happening because as you said it's like conversations are not had and you know I think a lot of times which as women we're just expected just to work it out and make it up as we go along you know I am quite intentional even with my daughters now to feed them as much as I can you know age appropriate of course they're not ever going to be in the situations that I was in when I was a child and a young woman coming up Yeah, I think it's really important. And, you know, I think I've noticed it even more that since I have been so vocal about miscarriages and much more vocal than I ever thought I would be, a lot of friends and people that I know that I wouldn't necessarily consider friends have reached out to me and have asked questions and have said, you know, I'm going through a miscarriage what am I supposed to expect? I I don't know who to ask. I don't know what to do. And I felt that even if I've been able to just help and give information and share my experience, because everybody's experience is very different in anything that comes to do with womanhood being a woman or even a girl, but at least it makes you feel normal. It doesn't make you feel that, oh my God, what the hell is happening to me? That is 100%. And that's what I found with my writing. I, I, I've sort of described it as sort of like, I will pub, like, you know, publish a poet, poem on social media. And then in the comments, it's like a gathering that, uh, you know, me too, or, you know, that's happened to me. Or hit me up in my DMs. Oh my God, that poem really spoke to me. You're in my head. And it, all that did was just releasing me just a huge truth that we are actually all in it together we come in different shapes and sizes we have different experiences but ultimately there is quite a I don't know how to say this but this only when we start speaking about it connecting we realize oh my god I'm not weird I'm not strange you know this is quite normal yeah totally absolutely agree with you so obviously you have a lot to write about because womanhood girlhood motherhood are very ample subjects that are endless but do you ever feel as if you have nothing to say yes yeah I do and it does happen I tell you when it happens it happens when I'm emotionally overwhelmed so you kind of would think at that point I'd have a lot it would sort of flow because it's sort of like obviously brimming I find that sometimes I feel quite muted when I'm overwhelmed when there's too much in my head 
when real life has got a bit too real, yeah, that's when I sort of become quite muted with my words and I have to kind of take a step back and uh, yeah, decompress and hope, you know, sort of the words come back. And how do you balance being a woman, a mother, a wife and a writer? Ooh. <laughs> Do you know what? Um, balance sort of um, sort of gives the impression that I've kind of got it, got it worked out. I think it really is. It's it's a giving and a taking. I definitely know when I become immersed in my poetry and writing. You know, there's definitely well, you know, all the house will go to pot because I'm, you know, I'm catching up. <laughs> I've got to catch up. I don't ever find I've got the perfect balance. I find that I'm. Oh, mummy has to do this, so you know, all the questions my son wants to talk to me about FIFA, my daughter wants to talk to me about, you know, her hair, the other one wants to talk to me about, can she download another game? And I sort of feel like, you know, my brain started to kind of like smoke start coming out because there's too many things happening. So I have to sort of really put dividing lines. Mummy's just doing this. I just need one hour and then I'm all yours. You know, it, the, the balance, I don't know. My husband's, we're in the same house, but during lockdown, it's literally been, okay, babe, I'm going upstairs, see you in two hours. Then we swap, he'll go up for two hours to work. And it's just like a machine. Um, so a lot of times I am completely burnt out and spent, but it's just the only way it's kind of getting done. You know, there's sort of no outside help. So you just have to make it work. And sometimes yeah. it is it's hard, it's, it's messy, it's, <laughs> some people are going to be upset, you know, I do feel like I might promise to go out with the kids and then, oh sorry, we'll do it tomorrow, and sometimes I just say, do you know what, the house is a mess, but we're going to go out because you guys have been so great on mummy's work, so yeah, I don't think there's a balance, but we just make it work. Fair enough, and I think it's probably also made you work on your productivity, right, because if you tell the kids, you give mummy one hour, that one hour every second counts. Yeah, it does. It so does. And I really object. Like, my husband would be like, hey, you go up, you go up now. And then, like, I'll get a message, babe, where's the twins, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, this is my time. Don't ask me anything. I'm putting, you know, it's, you know, you said I've got the time. So that means I'm off duty. I'm not in the house. Or they'll say, Mom. And I go, like, She's not here. <laughs> you know? So, yeah. One day I'll have, my, I'll have an office somewhere and I'll just, yeah. <laughs> you should get one of those things from like hotels with do not disturb and put yeah. it on the door. <laughs> do you know what? I almost did this morning, got a, a marker and a piece of paper because um, two of my daughters were asleep before we started. So everyone awake oh. knew not to enter Mum's room. But two of them are asleep. And I'm like, they've missed the memo. They're going to barge in while I'm talking to you. <laughs> and I heard, I heard the handle rustling while we were speaking. And I'm like, oh, my God, oh, my God. And I don't know. Suddenly, then I heard footsteps go downstairs. So, yeah, <laughs> it's okay. If anything, it would be like that BBC interview. Did you ever see that interview with that guy? <laughs> I think he was in Asia. <laughs> And the little toddler came in and then the baby and the stroller came in. <laughs> that one is a classic. I love that. I really love that. I love the mum's reaction. She just comes in like a superhero and like just whips them out. <laughs> and he is so stoic. He just keeps looking into his computer screen and he's just like, move out of the way. <laughs> Amazing. Honestly, I can watch it over and over again. I love it. So... Where or in who do you find your biggest inspiration to create? 
I would say I would say there's not a who or anything. It is literally, literally life. It's just what shows up. Um, sometimes, you know, it could be something that I'm going through, but then I could just put the TV on and, you know, something come up on the news or a friend ring me and something she shared. I, I'm quite sort of perceptive to, to people and their emotions and what they're going through. And I kind of like find that I channel all of those things in, into my words. So I'm kind of inspired by almost everything. You know, I've been served by the lady at Tesco's before and come home, sort of been inspired to sort of write about people who don't have family and friends. And the Tesco ladies, the only person they can speak to, because one day I just sort of recently, <laughs> I'd like had a baby and I remember feeling quite isolated. And the Tesco lady really made me feel so amazing. But, you know, Aww. so I really get inspired by literally like anything. <laughs> That's amazing. I love it. Yeah. And do you think that women are underrepresented in your creative industry? And if so, why do you think that is? God, I mean, I'm sure there are figures <laughs> that can sort of, you know, back that all up. I think men, men sort of do dominate most industries, even the creative ones, which, you know, you sort of, not, it's not that strange, but um, it, it is the case. But I personally sort of focus and centre um, myself in in women's literature and women writers and women's poetry so it may be the fact that we're underrepresented but for me I sort of seek out the voices of women and I do definitely feel that especially now you know with feminism post me too movement that women's voices are shouting sort of the most loudly they sort of have you know in an age and so yeah, we may be underrepresented, but I definitely feel we're making the most noise. I would definitely agree with that. I feel as if there's a movement. And also, I find myself purposely buying books written by women yeah. at the moment and wanting to have that, you know, knowledge. And for example, the other day, I read the small book of um, We Should All Be Feminists. Oh, okay. Yep, yep. But yeah, I read it recently and I found it really, A, easy to read, which I loved. It wasn't, I didn't feel that it was sort of dogmatic in any way. And I loved that it was just simple, everyday things that as women, we should keep in our minds. But also I'm making my husband read it because I think it's important that he reads it. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Because, you know, if one day we have a daughter or even just, you know, I think if men are part of the conversation, then that's when real change will happen. So you obviously said that you know, you watch the news and you chat with people and those are the things that inspire you. And obviously earlier this year and still going on now, the Black Lives Matter movement has gained momentum and has opened up discussions that probably never had a place before or were never able to be had before. As a woman of colour and as a mother, how have you felt this year in light of that movement growing? Well, you know, the whole movement has sort of summoned within me so many emotions, you know, gone from being furious, enraged to feeling hopeful for the first time in years. 
um, and mostly to feeling heard. I mean, once um, it all kicked off um, in the most mm. horrendous way, I suddenly got an influx of, of new followers, which was kind of like quite unnerving because it was like suddenly, the, I, you know, I'd always been around, but it was like now my voice was sort of, I don't know, it was now, now people wanted to hear what I had to say. Now maybe I had, I had something significant to, to, to give out. Whereas before black voices weren't as in demand, we maybe got picked up at black history month or if something could kind of happened, but genuinely, you know, everyone kind of sort of stuck to their own circles. I have found that definitely what this has done is amplified black voices and what we've been saying for decades, centuries, people are actually taking note. I feel as though they're, like you said, how you've been able to have more open honest conversations. You know, these are the conversations that black people and people from minority ethnic backgrounds have been wanting to happen. You know, we wanted that once we've said what is really going on, that it wasn't sort of like, okay, well, we'll get that back later. We'll push that into the agenda at another time. We just wanted to be, be, be believed. We wanted that, you know, our stories, you know, are validated and that we don't have to prove that there's um, racism and institutional racism. But if we're saying it, then it is the case. I've been really uh, uplifted by allies that have sort of come forward and are using their voices and platforms to... Um, you know, help the cause continue to spread the message. Um, no more staying silent. I wrote something called the Ally Anthem and I found a lot of white women especially just come to me and say, thank you for giving me a place to start. Um, you know, I, I'm not white, but I can still empathize that a white person may find it hard to start the conversation and may not know what to say may be scared they're going to put their foot in it or offend and and though I am on the side of the oppressed you know for us to get anywhere in this fight there's we're going to have to work together and we're going to have to hold hands and you know you know white women white people are going to have to say I might not always get this right but this is what I'm prepared and committed to do and you know it's not it's not going to be a quick fix it's not going to be a quick fix but I'm currently feeling quite optimistic. Yes, the, you know, it has quietened down a bit, but every now and again, you know, I make sure that I'm, you know, setting it alight again. And I know lots of people are, and, you know, I'm just hoping that this was not just a tease and that this will, will literally will be the beginning of real and definite, you know, ultimate change. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think also, you know, from a white woman's perspective, I feel that I've learned a lot in the sense of I've always considered myself as non-racist. I was yeah. brought up very much, you know, that you don't even think of somebody's color because it's irrelevant and it's, you know, that's a person. You don't think of them as from a race and even technically there are no human races. Races exist yeah. in dogs. There are no such things in human people. Um, and actually, I've learned that it's not enough to be non-racist. You have to be anti-racist. Right, yeah. And that actually, no, you know, I need to acknowledge that you're a beautiful black woman and that that black culture and heritage that you have makes you 
special and that I want to ask questions about it and I want to learn about it and I want to understand more about it. And it's like even using the word black, like I've never <laughs> felt that I could say it. And it's always that thing with my girlfriends who yeah. are black. You know, we always laugh about that thing that, you know, you put something aside in a shop with a black shop assistant and then you come back and she's gone and you're like well that lady um she put it aside for me and they're like what does she look like and you're like dark hair <laughs> dark eyes and you're like trying to dodge yeah. the b word yeah. and it's like the the b word black you know it's not it's not a racist term no, it, it, and it, it's not but it's like this you know, complete and that uncomfortability and awkwardness around it um and it, it's real you know um i i've sort of been met with that discomfort you know like you sort of described where somebody who's not black you're trying to explain something to me and i almost want to help them out and say was it a black person? yeah exactly <laughs> and it's funny you know as you said how you were raised you know not not to see color and it's like i wrote a poem that sort of talked about how you know, if you don't see colour, then you don't see me. And I just think all it does is sort of go back to that. Of course, we are, you know, one with the human race. And how amazing would it be if we just, you know, saw each other that way, first and foremost. Yeah. Um, for the sake of what happened in, you know, in our, in history, black people being oppressed and marginalised and, and uh, you know, treated so badly over, you know, the whole history of time. When uh, you see a black person and you see their colour, you know, you are, you are validating them. You are saying, I see you, I acknowledge you. I know you're from another place. I know that we may not do the same things or believe in the same things. And it's just sort of embracing the person wholly without having to use it to set, set yourselves apart. But it's just that sort of acknowledgement, just like if I see, you know, an Asian person or, you know, someone that's Eastern European, it's like, yes, that is not all they are, but I definitely, you know, I just take a lot from who they are culturally because I know that's gonna make up a lot of who they are and it's gonna bring so much to the conversation and what energy and, you know, just knowledge that I'm going to get from interacting with someone that's, that's different to me, you know? Yeah, totally agreed. But I think it's been, it's been very eye opening. And then I've obviously watched, um, you know, documentaries on it and things that have opened up my eyes as to, for example, the systemic racism specifically in the U S but obviously it happens everywhere. And it's just shocking to realize that, we're still at that point. And I think it does make me feel guilty in a way that as a white person, I haven't been, I haven't seen it before. And it mm. makes me feel bad that, you know, it's at the age of 32. And because it's all of a sudden, you know, so many people have had to die, that all of a sudden people are rising up. And we have reached out to all of my friends of color um, and other ethnic minority groups, yeah. um, you know, saying that I obviously stand with them and thanking them for all the times where I've been able to ask questions and feel safe to ask questions, you know, and be able to feel free and safe to ask those questions. Because like you said, I think as white people, we feel that it's wrong to bring up these questions initially. And if we're not given that opportunity to start that conversation, 
I feel as if there's a huge miscommunication between the two that, you know, white people feel that they can't because it's rude because, you know, we're from the side of the ex-oppressors and that, you know, we shouldn't even be bringing this up anymore. And then from your side, you perceive it in, well, nobody's listening to us and nobody believes us. Yeah. And, and I think as well, as well, there's like, there's two different camps, you see, because there'll be the, the camp of white people who will want to know more, want to educate themselves because they are aware or they, they have black friends or family. So they know that there are things going on that need to be addressed. But then there is the other camp of white people who don't want to talk about it because as far as they're concerned, racism is a myth. It doesn't happen. Oh, this happened centuries ago. Why are you still banging on about it? You know, look at Oprah Winfrey, look at Lewis Hamilton, and it, that's meant to be all okay because there's been, you know, rich and successful <laughs> black people. So there's like, though now, yeah, the conversation is open, there's still two very much different camps existing yeah. you know, in, in the white community. Um, still so just to finish off if you could quote one of your poems right now what would be your choice giving us positivity for the end of this very particular year <sighs> oh for the whole year I mean I have chosen one it's this one is just an ode to women <laughs> like most of my work is amazing so I will read and it goes some women stand tall and empowered like they were carved from Mount Kilimanjaro herself Others more akin to the weeping willow, bowing to pressure, wearing emotion on every leaf. Some run deep like ocean floors, ensuring we never quite find them. Some are here for all to see, like the sun, they need us to see them. The moon women lay low, wisely knowing when to emerge. Those of the sand don't stay around for long, just to touch, then they need to move on. I know like you, I am sand, moon, sun and water. I am rock, leaf, stone and fire. So that is where our power lies, to be all things, to trust all cycles in which we breathe, for not one will fail you, only teach, grow and love you. It's time for the Bitchfire Round! Well, listen, we now move on to our bitch fire question round, which is the fun part of the interview. Um, so I will give you two options to pick from and you've got to answer without thinking and then we'll go faster and faster. So the first one, for example, is dog or cat? Dog. Netflix or Prime? Prime at the moment. <laughs> Bath or shower? Bath. ASOS or Zara? Zara. Sweet or savoury? Coffee or tea? Tea. Winter or summer? Summer. City or countryside? Oh, it's hard. City. Vintage or new? Vintage. Instagram or Twitter? Instagram. Amazing. Well, listen, Vianne, thank you so much for joining us today on Bonjour Bitch. Can you please remind us of your social media handle, please? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram. Instagram at Vian underscore Emma. Amazing. Well, listen, thank you so much. It was an absolute pleasure to chat with you and I hope to chat to you again very soon. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Charlotte. It's been real fun. Take care. Bye. Remember to tune in next Monday for a brand new episode and please rate and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. It really does help us out. We'll see you then. Au revoir, bitches!